Hello and welcome to To The Point with Portland, a podcast for communication professionals that gets to the heart of the biggest questions in communications, policy and reputation. I'm Justin Talbot, Director of Internal Communications and Workplace Transformation here at Portland. And today I'm pleased to be joined by Sue Dewhurst and Lynn Fitzpatrick. Sue has worked with employee communication for over 25 years, both in-house and independently. She's acted as a trainer and coach for thousands of leaders and professional communicators, and our frameworks are used in organizations worldwide. Liam is a long-standing employee and change communications advisor, trainer, and author. From an early career in mainstream corporate comms, he became increasingly interested in how comms can help drive change within an organization. It's a fascination that is taking him around the world, working on change projects in multiple sectors, ranging from government to pharma, from tech to telecoms, and from energy to transportation. And together, they've just recently launched their new book, Successful Employee Communications, which really is a must read for anyone starting out on their internal communications journey, as well as for seasoned pros. In this episode, we'll be discussing how the pandemic and changes in the way we work have raised the profile and importance of internal communications. And we'll be finding out more about how employers can better engage their people in times of change and how more than ever, employees just aren't the people that work for you. They are your biggest advocates. This is To The Point. So, Sue, Liam, thank you both for joining me. I'm going to get straight to the point and dive right into our first question. It's now over two years since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. How do you think it's shifted the dial in terms of importance for internal communications? And why do you think it's more crucial than ever for firms to invest in their employee engagement model? And Sue, I might pass this one to you. Okay, thanks, Justin, and thanks for uh, inviting us. Um, I think any crisis of this magnitude, and none of us have faced a crisis of this magnitude before, makes you come really to the attention of senior leaders in the organisation, um, makes communicators suddenly critical to the organisation, and it's a, it's a helpful place to be. Um, I think that fades actually quite quickly. It'd be interesting to hear whether communicators are finding that's fading already. What I think is interesting at the moment, um, whether that's a result of the pandemic or, or something else, is that I think employees are actually getting a bit more power than they used to have. So the idea of the great resignation, um, the idea that organisations are really having to tempt people into jobs. Um, and so for me, that's one thing that really puts employees at the centre of things and makes engagement more important. There was some interesting research from Gallup I came across, actually, um, where they found, they told Fast Company this, that 64% of people looking for a new role say a bigger salary is one of the key things nudging them in that kind of new direction. But they found that in 2021, two thirds of the reasons why people left organisations related to engagement and well-being. And if someone has a low engagement at work, they're basically likely to be tempted by almost any job that pays more. So I think that's really interesting research. I think it makes us uh, very important, mm. makes communications and employees very important now. Liam, have you seen a similar trend as well? Yeah, I think that's super true. I mean, it's, um, I think on one level, when the pandemic hit, internal communications became super important because organizations needed reliable mechanisms by which they could communicate and get information into people's hands very quickly and reliably. And, and so suddenly there was an awful lot of pressure on people who worked in internal comms. And the people we spoke to in our book all referenced, you know, these period of madness when suddenly, you know, one day to the next, you didn't quite know what you're doing, but you were running really hard. And I think 
over time, that's gradually developed into organisations saying, hey, this comm stuff really does matter. And and actually, we've got some bigger problems. And the ones that Sue particularly referenced, like the Great Resignation and, and getting people to think about what it means to be living in a hybrid world, which I think we'll talk about in a second. But those things have suddenly really ramped up the importance of internal comms. And... The great benefit, though, I think, is that leaders are expecting more of their internal communicators. Um, we've moved from a position where internal comms was quite often, in some organisations, largely an administrative thing. And it seems to have moved very much into a, into a role where actually leaders are much more willing to have strategic conversations about what they're getting from their internal communicators. So that's the, one of the big changes I've seen. Thanks, Liam. Uh, and obviously, you know, we, we've spoken about the pandemic. It's, it's also had a huge rise in the number of people working in a hybrid way or working fully remote. You know, so how big is the challenge for employers in engaging these people uh, and, you know, to make them feel part of, of an organisation where maybe they don't have that face-to-face time that they used to have? That's a massive, that's a massive thing. Um, because at the end of the day, humans like humans and we like a human relationship with, uh, with the, the colleagues we work with. And that's for, for a lot of organizations in the hybrid world, it's, it's a real, real challenge because how do you make it worthwhile for an employee to stay with the organization they work for? If you, if you're particularly, if you say you're doing something highly skilled, like a technical role and you're working doing coding, um, and your work comes out of the computer that's sitting on the dining room table, does it matter that you work for Cisco or does it matter that you work for Apple? No, not really quite often. So organisations have to work so much harder to make the experience of working for them relevant and on brand. And I think a lot of people are still wrestling with that as a, as a challenge. How do you get your arms around people who may never come into the office and essentially feel they're doing the same job whoever they work for? Thanks. And Sue, obviously you've worked with um, many senior leaders within organisations and you know, what, what is it that they're coming to you and saying and, and asking for in terms of advice around engaging their employees in this way? I think, to be honest, the questions are quite similar to the way they were before. They're just more critical than they were before. Um, so it's still about um, how they get to understand the people that they're talking with. It's still about how they talk about things in meaningful ways. I think before maybe we had the illusion that we were reaching people because they're in front of us. And now, to be honest, I think it's no bad thing that that illusion shattered. And we know that we really have to work hard to connect with people. I think we always had to work hard. Uh, just it's now, it's very, very obvious that we have to. So as I say, in my book, it's it's kind of no bad thing that it's, it's really shone a spotlight to say, uh, don't take engagement with people for granted. You've got to work at it. Mm, yeah. I think the other one of the things we did discover very early on in the in the uh, pandemic is when everyone was at home and working away, managers had to work a lot harder than they might have done historically around, you know, just staying close to their teams, checking in, making sure everyone's okay, making sure everyone's aligned and focused. And I think there was a there was a period when I was talking to managers and they're going, "Oh gosh, this is so much like hard work." I think, though, the message has landed that you get better results. And I think people's experience is, is generally in going in the right direction. I think how we sustain that and how communications teams support that is going to be quite a big challenge going forward. Yeah. And, and just a question to both of you. Do you ever think we'll go back to the original ways of working or is it now is it change for good, do you think? I, th- I think that particular bit of toothpaste is out of the tube. You know, we're not going to put it back in. I think... Uh, I think people are quite happy to come into the office two days a week or whatever, but uh, assuming you're you're doing the sort of job that gives you that flexibility. Obviously, if you're a firefighter, then you know, you know, you don't get to do hybrid firefighting. But 
I think that that you know people's lives have changed. And there was a there was a very strange news story here in the UK um, a couple of weeks ago where a law firm said to its workers, "Well, you're welcome to work from home, but we're going to take twenty percent of your salary off you." Um, I imagine that particular law firm is suddenly going to discover a large number of its highly skilled lawyers are now working elsewhere because. I think the power now lies with the employees and, you know, if it suits their lifestyle and they've, they've managed their lives around it, I think no one's going to change. Yeah. And I think it's going to, it's going to be part of, you know, what people are look, looking for when they're applying for roles, you know, more than ever now it's around what an organisation is doing in terms of sustainability, you know, what is our ESG priorities, but now is it, you know, how, how can I work with you? You know, can I work fully remotely? You know, I've proven I can do it in other organisations and, you know, I want to get paid more doing something, doing the same role maybe, but, you know, in a different working way, which suits me better. So, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's going to be changing anytime soon. I think the toothpaste is not the cheap, as you said. I also think it gives flexibility both ways. So you know, before the pandemic, for example, I was doing some training for leaders in, in different countries and in some countries um, they really did not like doing things virtually. Um, they really wanted things face to face and it was a very expensive thing to do, you know, to put me on a plane and send me, for example, to, to Asia for a day. Um, but, you know, people have now almost been forced to get used to technology. So I think it's, you know, it's built flexibility in uh, on both sides of the table, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's great news for employees, I think, uh, generally. I wanted to shift um, tax slightly now and talk about employee, when we speak about employees, but actually employees as advocates, you know. We've seen a big rise in employee activism recently, um, you know, as for example, as with the recent walkout of some people at Disney in response to a Florida bill that would restrict discussions of gender and sexuality in schools. So you know, what should organisations be doing to ensure that, you know, the people that work for them are saying the right things about them? I think the answer to your question is they should be doing the right things. Um, <laughs> the truth of the matter is that if you if you are out there, you know, throwing plastic in the oceans and you know ripping off communities and those sorts of, your employees will know about it and they will punish you for it. They will punish you by either walking out, they will punish you by voting with their feet and leaving, uh, and they will punish you by going home to their communities and saying, "I yeah, uh, the organisation I work for is run by a bunch of crooks." So. I remember about 10 years ago, there was a sudden sort of upsurge in organisations getting very excited about employee advocacy and they were sending employees kind of things they could post on Facebook and, you know, stuff they could post on LinkedIn about how great a company was. The truth of the matter was if employees don't have faith in the organisation for which they work, they're not going to do that. And we see a lot of organisations benefiting, particularly on things like recruitment, where you know, employer branding, so getting, uh, you know, providing colleagues with materials to post on LinkedIn to say, come and work for us, cool jobs. And that kind of works, but only if the reality stands up to it. Um, just remember that actually the impact an individual employee has in talking to the people around them about their experience is always going to outweigh anything the organisation says in the media or in advertising or whatever. Um, but the truth of the matter is, it only works if you do the right thing. So uh, organisations need to make sure their staff know exactly what they're doing. Uh, and employees will go and do the right thing. They don't need necessarily, you know, packs to put on Facebook or whatever. So make sure they've got the facts, make sure they've got information and also demonstrate that you're willing to listen. I think the thing about employees is they know what's really going on. So you can't pull the wool over people's eyes, at least not anymore. I remember in the old days, to be honest, my dad used to call me spin doctor. 
um, because that's what he thought my job was, you know, try and make things look good, try and make things sound good. And maybe in the days before social media, we could because organisations were quite one way. You can't anymore because everyone talks to each other. Everybody knows what it's like to work there. So you can try and tell a nice story, but if it's not true, nobody's going to be fooled. Yeah. Funny enough, I was talking to someone recently and he worked for a company that had been a core celeb in the UK recently and how they treated their employees. And um, I sort of gently teased him about it. And within seconds, he played back to me a whole bunch of statistics which demonstrated why the story, as I've been told in the media, wasn't quite the true story and stuff like that. He wanted to believe that he worked for an ethical employer. He was ready to listen to the facts. The facts he gave me sounded quite convincing and, uh, and quite intriguing. So I think people, if they can believe the organisation and they can believe the facts, they're very willing to go out and share them with you. But ultimately, you've got to give people stuff that's credible. And, you know, people are not going to be your advocates if they believe you're a bunch of crooks. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, transparency is so important, isn't it, in, in communication. If you're not transparent and you're not clear, you know, people see, see through the rubbish that you're trying to sell them. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, and, and like you said, Sue, you know, People aren't, can't be fooled, and especially with social media and, you know, how we all interact both inside and outside the workplace. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely critical, isn't it? Yeah, and the depth of understanding about, because they've also got that back history about you. They know how you're going to react. They know how the leadership team in this organisation thinks. They know they know you tried it on three years ago um, and they know what's credible. So you've just got to be straight. One thing I always do say, though, is, I call it show your workings out. So I always talk about when they, you know, back in my younger days when I'm I'm not very good with numbers. <laughs> um and the, I managed to get very good results in my in my maths exams because even if I got the wrong answer in the end, as long as I showed my method and I said I'm doing this because, I'm doing this because, I'm doing this because, I got points for showing my workings out. And I think quite often if organizations have to do unpopular things, and all organizations do, there will have been hours and hours and hours of discussions about that. And there might have seemed to be more popular, uh, palatable answers that would seem obvious that have been rejected for good reasons. But what organisations usually do is present conclusions. What they don't always do is say, well, we did think about this and this and this, and this is why we didn't do it. Uh, And that's a very good idea to do, uh, especially if we're going to have to do things that people may not like and have to do those things for, for good reasons, if not popular ones. Yeah. I think that's a super important message, actually, because a lot of the time people think of internal comms as just delivering announcements. And actually, if you think about internal comms as being making sure that everyone has a shared context and they understand the deep background, they understand what's going on with competitors, they understand why this product doesn't work and what these other issues are. If you if you can explain that and you take the time to explain that and keep explaining, then when, when the tough time comes you're talking into a world of well-informed audience group. And that, that, that's super important. And the other thing to remember is that people will trust people. And actually, if your chief executive only appears in front of, in front of the workforce at a time of crisis and is invisible at all other times, they don't have any backstory or any, any history on which to base a judgment about whether this guy or this woman is, is straight or, or is actually trying to, you know, trying to pull the wool over their eyes. So... I think for a lot of communicators, and it's the same, I think, for any any issues or crisis, is your prevention starts way before 
the moment when you actually need it. It's it's all about context building and about building relationships and getting the getting leaders out there and getting them known. It's the day-to-day behaviours. I remember working with an organisation and the chief exec had gone out on the floor on Christmas Day and that was the only time in the whole year that that chief exec had gone out on the floor and that was noticed and not in a good way. You know, it was meant as a good gesture. It actually worked out completely the opposite. Completely backfired. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Uh, we obviously we work in change and transformation. It's part of you know what we do in, in terms of employee engagement. Just thinking about trends, and obviously you've just written the uh, I think it was the second edition of your book. You know, what do you think, or what do you see as the biggest trends in terms of you know what's changing in internal comms this year? Because we've spoken about the pandemic and hybrid working, but is there anything else you think you can elaborate on? Uh, I'm smiling because I kind of don't like the idea of trends in internal comms and I think almost one of our challenges as an industry is that we're very tempted by shiny things. Uh, people quite often say to us, why is it that same conversations are happening 10 years on? Well, because we're always getting distracted by trends. I don't like the word. However, if I could choose something that I would like to be more of a focus, it would be a word that Liam's always already mentioned, which would be listening. Um, and I do hope that this whole environment of maybe employees having a bit more power, um, you know, social media has given people a, a voice now for a long time. Uh, the fact that maybe organisations are having to try harder than they had done. I hope this is the era of uh, better listening. But that I don't believe is a trend which is going to happen all by itself. It needs a lot of work on the part of employee communicators. Part of the challenge, I think, is redefining a little bit employee communications away from just being about communications, because I think there's a danger that you think of communications as just the production of artefacts or, or content, when in fact, increasingly, I think what we're seeing is good communicators using the power of listening, using their insight into things like employee experience to actually say, this is where communications can help you solve this particular problem, and this is where you need to fix other elements of, of the challenge. And actually seeing themselves outside the narrow confines as content producers is definitely a trend, which is really, really making a difference. And and I think we've benefited a lot from a lot of the move towards thinking about employee experience over the last few years. Um, organizations spent a lot of time the last decade talking about employee value propositions and employer brands. And progressively, I think they're now moving into a space where they say, actually, the brand doesn't mean anything if the experience is rubbish. So let's think about how we have a great experience. And communications is one part of the mix, but being a collaborator in that conversation is definitely a trend that I see happening quite a lot. Yeah. So I think the big lesson for me here is, you know, not to use the word trend, um, but I really love the point about listening. So, and I think that's so important, you know, listening, checking for understanding, but also checking that, you know, if you're communicating something to people understand what you're trying to say, I don't think we listen enough and organisations certainly don't. And yeah, I I won't label a trend, but the big thing for 2022 is to to shut up and listen. So yeah, there's that old phrase, isn't it? You have one mouth and two ears, use them in that proportion, which I think is increasingly (laughs) the truth of what we do. Um, I I love an and finally question. Um, So I'm sure you've both got some great examples of the question I'm going to ask you, but do you have any particular internal comms horror stories? Obviously, we've just seen recently with PNO and uh, this kind of spectacular failure to, or how they handled sucking over 600 employees, I think. Um, but what are your personal, I put in inverted commas, um, favourites? Can I just say one thing? I'm very nervous about this because 
this question because Sue and I first met about 20 odd years ago and we both worked for separate companies which were going through a virtually identical set of, of crises to related to a financial collapse. And we became firm friends because we used to ring each other up on a Friday afternoon every week and go, you won't believe what they've done this week. And Sue would go, oh yeah, I believe it. We definitely did that. <laughs> and actually the story I'm going to tell is definitely, I know one that happened with Sue, which was, uh, this was company was going bankrupt and um, everyone was kind of like you know, suffering a little bit from, you know, the, the fatigue of endless cuts. And the facilities team in the UK said, well, what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to stop giving away free coffee and we're going to charge everyone 5p to use this to drink this unspeakable filth that comes out the vending machine. And everyone was quite cool about it. And um, and then the day before the big day, when all the machines were going to have to take money, it uh, the news broke that our chief executive and our finance director were getting retention bonuses to stay with the firm through all the trouble. So we've been messaging, we're all in this together, but it turns out our chief executive was, and the finance director were 400 grand each in, in it on their own. And um, that was one of those moments when you spent all your time carefully planning a particular communications message and life gets in the way or reality. That was my horror story. I have more. I have, oh, I have plenty. I have a similar uh, planning gone wrong example. So mine was at a previous organisation where we, we were announcing a lot of redundancies, um, multiple sets of redundancies. It was stock exchange announcements. So it was one of those awful 7am announcements when uh, people will usually hear it on the news before you can get to them first. And on this particular occasion, we were closing a regional office in a major UK city, shall I say. We also, in that major UK city, had a call centre, which was staying open and continuing as normal. And the chairman of the organisation went on BBC Radio 4 at seven o'clock in the morning when everybody was going to work and told them that we were closing the call centre which we weren't, and also then helped matters by saying that customers shouldn't worry about the changes we were making because the redundancies were mostly happening to, and I quote, back office type characters. So we spent the day not only announcing redundancies, but actually oh, going dear. to call centres and saying that, no, we really were not going to close them <laughs> and trying to pacify people that had been called back office type characters. I think, I, I mean, I, I've got to add my own my yeah, own horror please, story. Yeah. Um, this is a while back now, but taking uh, lots of uh, employees out on a roadshow who worked in various parts of an organisation, and these were remote workers, so kind of field technicians, had a particular gripe within the organisation, and you know we planned this amazing chain, like series of events of experiential learning. You know it was going to be a great time out of the office. When a hundred of them, around about a hundred of these people, just sat in a, an auditorium, physically turned their backs on the MD when he was giving his presentation as, as a protest. Um, so it didn't go down well at all. Um, we just never expected that to happen. But um, kind of, I guess it shows the power of, you know, your, your audience and your employees. And yeah, it was a big yeah. lesson for me. I, I, I just add one other story. My, I'm old enough now to have a, a daughter who has a professional job and she works for a large public corporation, which has been in the news quite a bit over the last few years. And they made some major announcements last year about the restructuring of one of their divisions. And um, I remember sitting at home and my phone, my texts kept pinging. My daughter was sitting in the front row of this town hall, uh, describing in excruciating detail the communications they were being subjected to. And, um, and the implication being, this is what you do to people, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> thinking, oh, thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I do, but just better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we go. Yeah. 
So Liam, so thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really insightful and I hope people listening can kind of take that on as well. If you are listening, please don't forget to check out uh, Liam and Sue's book, Successful Employee Communications. And with that, I'll end the session. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of To The Point With Portland. Should you like to know more about what we discussed today, do get in touch with us via our website, portland-communications.com, and you can find all of us on LinkedIn.